Well, I love this reminder that God is great and that we are in desperate need of Him. In fact, that song about we just need you, need you, need you. I don't think we can be reminded enough of how dependent we need to be on God and His Spirit. In fact, as we've done the last couple weeks, I want to take you back a couple chapters because where we're going to end up today is going to be the culmination and example of where we've been for the last almost two months together. But Jesus is going to answer the question, what kind of people perceive the kingdom of God? So to do that, I want to take you back a little even farther than we did last week to remind you what type of people perceive the kingdom. Jesus said, number one, there was an unjust steward who saw that his job was coming to an end, so he leveraged his little bit of time and talent to have rewards and relationships in the future. He was thinking about the kingdom. Then from there, we went into a passage in Luke 16, we saw Lazarus and the rich man. And Lazarus was rewarded in the future kingdom, even though he didn't have a lot of rewards in this life, he was compensated for the kingdom for the things he didn't get in this life and the sacrifices he made. He experienced the kingdom. Then we went into a passage about ten lepers. We found those lepers experienced the kingdom when they cried out for mercy... And one of them remembered to come back and give glory to God's kingdom by saying thanks. But remember they called out mercy. That was a really important part of the passage. Then we had a whole section about when is the kingdom going to come. Some people are going to be ready for it and they're going to be taken. And some people are going to miss the kingdom. Because they're so caught up in the kingdom of this world. Then we looked at ways and those who perceive the kingdom are those who are like widows and tax collectors. The widow wears out heaven with her persistent prayer. And the tax collector humbly calls out for mercy by beating his breast and saying, God, have mercy on me. And he walks away justified. Then last week we learned what it means to receive the kingdom like a child, an infant, to be vulnerable and dependent upon God versus the ruler. The rich young ruler who's given opportunity to swap out his treasures on earth for the treasures of the kingdom and he walks away sorrowful. And Jesus says, this guy missed the deal of a lifetime. But it's hard for those who are rich to enter the kingdom just like a camel going through the eye of a needle. And all that will culminate in the passage we're going to look at today which is all these pieces are going to come together as we see the type of person God wants us to be. The kingdom rewards are received by people who are humble, persistent, and mercy-seeking beggars. In fact, the hero of this story is a beggar who's blind. And Jesus wants you and I to be as blind as a Bart. We're going to meet Bart today. And he is an example of how you and I can approach the kingdom. He wants us to be as blind as a Bart, not as blind as a bat. Because that ruler was as blind as a bat. He missed out on the rewards around him. And we're going to see the disciples are as blind as a bat to the risks in front of them and the path before them. But the literal blind man is able to perceive the kingdom. So the passage says exactly that. It's how to be as blind as a Bart, not as blind as a bat. And we're going to meet Bar... Timaeus. His name literally means Bar the son of Timaeus. And he is an example of how you and I can experience the kingdom of God. But first let's look at what it means to be blind as a bat. Because there were 
two people who were blind, the ruler and the disciples. They were not able to perceive what God was doing and how he was doing it. The first thing they were blind to is the size of the reward. Remember, Jesus has just offered the ruler treasures in heaven many more times if he would leave his kingdom and transfer to God's kingdom. Now, often you'll hear people say, you know what, you shouldn't need rewards. God should be his own reward. Or you'll hear things like, you know, character is its own reward. And that's not all wrong. But if all we needed was character as its own reward, then why does Jesus talk about reward so much? He knows that we're incentivized beings. He made us with ambition. He made us to want to be rewarded. And it's never wrong to pursue what God tells us to pursue. And he tells us to pursue future rewards. Now, ultimately, if you're using God to get what you really want, some money bags in heaven, you know, then you've turned God into a vending machine for your real idol. But if you want the rewards God has for you because you trust God has your very best, and you trust that what he offers is the very best, and you want everything he has for you because you trust that what he has for you is better than what you're prioritizing now, pursue money bags in heaven. Pursue eternal treasures that moth can't touch and rust can't touch. And that's just what he offered the ruler who turned it down. And the disciples are watching him turn it down and they're like, hey, 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 hey. We did what he didn't do. Do we get some of that? And Jesus doesn't rebuke them for wanting rewards. Jesus doesn't rebuke them for requesting this. In fact, he affirms it. It's never wrong to pursue what God tells us to pursue, which are eternal rewards. Peter says, hey, hey, see, see, we left all, unlike that guy, and we followed you. And Jesus says to them, not a rebuke. That's right. And assuredly, I say to you, there is no one, no one, who has ever left a house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of my kingdom, who will not receive Many times more. If you've ever had to make a sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom, that might be a financial sacrifice. You gave something up. Maybe it was a deal that you felt like wasn't scrupulous. And for the sake of the kingdom, you gave up a deal and a chance to make money or a a resource. God says, I saw that. And I noticed that. And when you liquefied something so you could take care of your parents... When you took time that was already so precious and used it to care for parents who were aging, used it to care for a special needs child, you, you, you felt called to adoption, you felt called to sacrifice, I want you to know you're going to receive many, many times that. Or maybe it's relational. For many who follow Jesus, maybe not in America, but all over the world, when you choose to follow Jesus, you get cut off from your family in certain traditions, in certain religions. And Jesus says the pain of that, the hurt of that, the devastation of losing a child, losing a parent, because you chose the kingdom. But I want you to know, you're going to receive many times the reward. Or maybe you're in a relationship, and you're going through a difficult time in your marriage, and you chose to prioritize your marriage, even though it was hard. And God honored that. And God is going to give you a many times blessing for doing that. Or maybe you're dating somebody, and you knew that God said to save sex for marriage, and that wasn't just for teenagers, it's for those in their 20s and 30s and 40s, because God knows what's best. And that his idea of covenant preceding intimacy, and somebody was pressuring you to go farther than maybe you should, and you had to break off a relationship. It's hard where you love this person. But you broke off that relationship, 
because you wanted to do things in God's order, marriage and then intimacy. God says there's many, many times reward. I know it hurt and I know it was painful, but I'm going to reward you for putting my kingdom ahead of the kingdoms of this world. And notice he mentions two types of rewards. There's rewards that come in the present time. There's many times reward in the present time. And there's many times reward in the age to come. In one sense, when you prioritize the kingdom, his comfort comes to you when you grieve. And you experience God in your brokenheartedness in a way that you really can't experience him any other way. Now, nobody wants that experience, right? Nobody wants brokenheartedness. But God says the reward is I'm going to be with you in a way you've never felt before. The fruit of God's spirit comes into your life when you go through times of difficulty and sacrifice where you get to feel his joy. You're getting joy that wasn't from you, it's from him. You're getting gentleness, it's from, from him, not from you. Self-control. Those are some of the benefits of the present time. Hope and wisdom and confidence that God is with you. But honestly, if you've ever lost a child, if you've ever made a huge sacrifice relationally or financially for the kingdom... What happens in this world is, quite frankly, not enough. It's just not. Because bad things happen to good people, and good things happen to bad people. And many of the rewards and the full understanding of what's going on and what God's doing don't come until the age to come. And in the age to come, there is great reward, many times kind of reward, where questions get answered and rewards are given for everything you did that you were not rewarded for, that were not mentioned, that were overlooked here on earth. And it's never wrong to pursue what God tells us to pursue. And he tells us to pursue future rewards, great rewards in the present time, in his presence, and in the age to come. I read a story this week about someone who did exactly that. His name was Vincent. Vincent was an art dealer. And he felt called by God to go and become a missionary. And this isn't for everybody, but he felt called to sell everything related to his art dealing, which he did. And he went to Belgium to be a missionary. And he was a missionary amongst the mining community. Very, 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 very poor. He got a meager salary from the missionary board. But he still was making so much more than those around him. He just kept giving it away because there's so much poverty. The missionary board said he was crazy. And they didn't even think it was appropriate. In fact, he he got so poor at one point. At one time that he was living almost as a homeless man as the pastor. He was sleeping on a hay bale outside of a local baker that went to the church. So he'd stand up on Sunday to preach and he had hay in his clothes and he smelled of bread. But the miners loved him. The simplicity of which he taught the Bible. The kindness and the way he literally walked in their shoes. When the missionary board heard about the ways in which he was continuing to embarrass them with this type of living... They decided to fire him. They fired him. And even without that meager salary, he couldn't sustain being the pastor after a few months. And he was just disillusioned by church, disillusioned by religious people, turned off by it all. So he decided to go back and start painting again. And he started his career back up as a painter. And he became famous as a painter. In fact, we know him as Vincent Van Gogh. And one of his paintings he painted was called Starry Night. As he painted Starry Night, one of the things embedded in this famous painting is his perspective on being disillusioned by the church who forgets about what really matters. Forgets about eternal rewards and becomes consumed with themselves. So if you see in Starry Night, the lights are on all over the city, except 
he turned the lights off in the church. The lights are not on and no one is home. The light has gone out in the church. Because that's what he felt had happened. The church had become blind to the kingdom and therefore was no longer shining the light. And one of the things we are committed to as a church is we want to be a place that continues to shine the light of hope. I mentioned last week that we had a service here for those in our community because we had a suicide about 10 days ago. But this week we had another suicide in the same school system. We had over 1,000 people here at uh, the service yesterday. Many who don't attend our church, many who've never been in our church. And we want to be a place that gives a light of hope in the midst of darkness, offer comfort in times of grief, to support people in times of uncertainty. We don't want the light to go out, and we want to be a place of comfort and love and joy and truth. We aspire to be some of the best Bible teaching here anywhere in the country so you can come and find answers and dig deeply into the Bible because we don't want the light to go out, and we want to pursue the rewards God has for us. I want to say thank you to many of you. Many of you have asked me over the last couple of months, you know, what's going on with the church? We've talked over the last year about new tools we're trying to put in place. And just this week, our elders and exec board met together, just continuing to see the faithfulness of people's giving and the, the commitment we have to continue to being a light. We've approved moving forward with our video project. And so what that means is here in the summer, the contractor is going to start building our new video room. In 2019, we're going to be able to start having our live stream services and our video archive services. We're going to put an app together so you can watch services on an app that will be developed here in 2019 as well. And it will allow us to start taking the light even to more, more avenues to offer additional equipping services. We'll start with one additional equipping service. And if that works well in the new space we're developing, we'll add a second, a third, and you know, we even have plans to go up to five more additional equipping services. And all that's possible because of your kingdom giving, your prioritizing of last year to say, I want to give above and beyond what I'm already doing. So Horizon continued to be not a place the light goes out, but a place that has new tools to extend that. Now, you know how this stuff is. You, you, you do your best guess on deadlines and how much things cost. It always costs more than you really plan. But we felt so confident what's been given so far that we're moving forward. But if you haven't given me part of that and you want to continue to believe in the mission we have of reaching people and, and, and spreading the Bible as we go to app development in these different stages, just see if God prompts you to pursue that eternal reward of putting new tools in our hands to reach the people in our generation. But remember, the ruler missed it. The ruler was blind as a bat to these rewards. But now the disciples are going to be blind as a bat to what Jesus is really asking them to do. Not the reward, but the risk. There's a huge risk to following Jesus. And the disciples are blind to what it's going to cost him and blind to what it's going to cost them. Now, if you asked them, they wouldn't say they were blind. They'd say, yeah, 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 yeah. But hanging out with Jesus can be a little dangerous. The Pharisees get kind of ticked off. The Herodians get kind of ticked off. The Sadducees get mad at us. People have been mad before. So it's a little risky being with Jesus. But for the most part, we're going to end up being the 12 disciples ruling the world when he knocks down Rome. And so they, in one sense, don't really get the cost to Jesus to bring forgiveness and hope to us. And they certainly don't get, at this point, the cost or risk he's going to demand of them. Now, you can imagine the disciples talking to each other and being like, why can't you just spit it out? Like, what's it real? When, when's Rome going to be, be conquered? When's he going to get this thing done? I wish he wasn't always talking in parables and riddles and dark sayings. Why can't he just say it? Just say it. What are you doing? 
Well, here's one of those statements when Jesus just says it. Exactly what he's going to do, what it's going to cost him, and what it's going to cost them. Then he took the twelve aside, and he said to them, Behold, read my lips. Read my lips, he says. We, you and I, are going to Jerusalem. And what's going to happen in Jerusalem? All the things written by the prophets are going to happen. To which they're going, yeah, he's going to come conquer Rome. Now, read my lips. Suffering servant, Isaiah 53. And he spells it out in detail. Look what he says. All the things written concerning the Son of Man, the favorite term he uses for himself that we talked about came out of Daniel, will be accomplished. So eventually, the the returning of the Son of Man on high, it's going to be accomplished eventually, but not until this. Listen, look at me, look at me, look at me, he says. He, the Son of Man, that you're waiting to return and be the conquering king, is going to be delivered to the Gentiles. No, 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 Jesus. You mean he's going to deliver us from the Gentiles. Read my lips. And he's going to be mocked. You mean crowned? Mocked. And then insulted. What? And spit upon. Huh? Then they're going to scourge him. The word scourging was a scourging post. Off with a ring at the top and a rope put down through it. Tied up to a prisoner who would be hoisted up so his skin was tight. So when they hit him with the whip, which had pieces of bone and steel, that when it hit that tightened piece of skin, it would dig into the skin. They could rip out chunks, which is what happened to Jesus in the scourging post. So much so they had to flip him over because there was no meat left to yank off of him. And he was scourged on both sides. And after he is scourged, he will be killed The Messiah will be killed. And on the third day, he will rise again. To which Peter turns to Thomas and says, Do you think that's going to happen? And Thomas says, I doubt it. What do you think he means? Ah, Who knows what Jesus ever means. It's just all so confusing. In fact, look at the next verse. That's exactly what the next verse says. And having spelled it out in detail... They understood none of those things. What? It was so outside of their reference point, so outside of what they thought God should do and must do and plans to do, they couldn't hear when he even said it plainly. The the saying was hidden from them. Huh? They did not know the things that were being spoken. I don't get it. I don't understand it. They are blind as a bat to Jesus' cost. Of what the Messiah has to go through to forgive you and I. They're blind to the cost to him. And ultimately to the cost of them. But after his death and resurrection. When they see that he predicted in detail what was happening to him. They end up understanding the cost. And all the disciples will end up giving their life. For this Jesus and his claims and his resurrection. So that they're blind to it now, the resurrection will be the ultimate changeover that will get them to begin to see that which was hidden. Have you ever thought you assessed the cost of something and then you found out later that you really missed how costly it was? You thought you'd assess the risk and it was much, much riskier than you thought? I remember going on the beast for one of the first times. You've been to King's Island on the beast? And, and you go to get on the beast, you know. 
and the, the cart pulls up, and, and when it pulls up, it's got these big signs, you know, do not get on this if you're pregnant. This is a wooden roller coaster. And if you've ever been on the beast, we call it the mugging. It feels like you've just been mugged the whole time because he's the wooden roller coaster. So we're three back. And we're three back, and here's this guy who's been, who's been lifting weights for like three decades. And he's, he's two in front of us, and he gets on. He's read all the things about how risky it is, how scary it is, but he gets on. You know, He doesn't even fit in the thing. You know. Ready. And we're two back, so we're going to be able to see him go and come back. So he takes off. You know, Are you ready? He's gone. Then the next car pulls up, and the lady in front of us, she gets in the car. She's off. Now we're waiting, and along comes... Mr. Workout. And he starts coming back from his ride in the beast, and we can hear him coming. Get me out of this thing! 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 Now, 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 now! I'm like, what in the world? Car pulls up, and he is just going berserk. Everybody's watching this guy. Oh, Micah, get me out of this thing! And they come and unstrap him and pull the thing. Jumps out. What is that? What is in there? And as we all look, I'm standing right here as he runs out the other side. As he gets up, I see what looks like a little black dot, a fuzzball, and I see it move on the seat, and then I see it flap its wings, and and I'm like, it's a bat. That man got on the beast with all of it shaking, but what he didn't know is underneath his buttocks was a bat the whole time. Can you imagine? Oh, oh, oh my, oh my, it's a vampire bat under your butt the whole time. I mean, that's scary. He thought he had assessed the risk. He didn't know about the bat under his butt. And the disciples, they thought, yeah, it might be rough for a while. It might take us a few years before we get to be second command of the world. But underneath their butt was the fact that they were going to give their life on this side of heaven for a Messiah who's a suffering servant, not a conquering king. Now, Jesus' brother James, known as James the Just, did not believe Jesus. He thought Jesus was crazy, if you read the Gospels. But after Jesus predicted and rose from the grave... Jesus' brother becomes a follower and leader in the church. Now think about how amazing that is as evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, what would it take for your brother to think that you are God? Or flip it. What would it take for you to believe that your brother is God in the flesh? It would take a stinking miracle. And that's exactly what it took. It took the resurrection and James the just seeing the resurrected Jesus and he becomes a leader. Not just a leader. Josephus records that in 62 AD he is so preaching that his brother, Jesus, who he grew up with, was the son of God in the flesh and his journey from skepticism to faith that he's taken up on the top of the temple, and he's preaching at the top of the temple. And while he's up there preaching, the Pharisees say, you renounce this, you stop preaching this, that Messiah died, he wasn't a good Messiah, if he's a real Messiah, he would have you know, beat Rome. You either give up and recant, or we're going to shove you off the temple. And he keeps preaching. And Josephus says they push him headlong off the temple corner. He lands, 
head first. If you haven't seen the temple to see just how tall that is, it is shockingly high. If you go over there to this day, a lot of the, the walls are still there. But right here would be the size of a, a human going into the doors. James, the just, would have been placed somewhere around the corner up here and thrown down. Head first, he lands. He doesn't die. He's still laying there preaching about Jesus. When the Pharisees and Sadducees come with clubs and they club him to death to stop him. And though James and John and Peter, and James the lesser as well, did not fully understand the cost prior to the resurrection, they understood the cost after resurrection, and they give their lives for the future kingdom. What's interesting is the corner of the wall had a particular stone on it called the capstone. And it had a stamp on it, so uh, the person blowing the horns would know to stand there to call out for the worship. Well, those rocks have come tumbling down. When Beth and I went to Israel, we actually got a chance to stand next to this rock, and it has a stamp on it. This is the capstone that used to be in the top corner. As I thought to myself about that corner that James the Just might have stood on and decided to stay faithful, I thought of something else that happened on that rock. Because Jesus has a chance to give up on you and I. See, the Bible records that Satan takes him to the corner of the temple, that spot, and offers him all the kingdoms of the world if he'll just bow down to him. And Jesus chooses God's kingdom, even though it will mean his death and scourging over Satan's kingdom. It's on this corner spot, on that rock, probably. Satan says, well, Scripture says that if you're really God's anointed, you can throw yourself off and the angels won't let you touch the ground. To which Jesus again chooses God's kingdom and says, but the Scriptures also say, do not test the Lord your God. And he'll come to the Garden of Gethsemane and he'll also want to not go to the cross. Dad, 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 please, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. But not my will, but yours be done. And he will again, for the sake of wanting to know you, wanting to forgive me, wanting to forgive you of everything we've done, he will go to the cross and endure the most difficult of risks and costs to himself for the future reward of being seated at the right hand of God. For it says in Hebrews, for the joy set before him on the cross. Did you know Jesus was joyful in the midst of all that pain? He was thinking on the cross about the joy set before him. He endured the cross. This is how I will get you and I to heaven confidently. And with a loud voice, he'll cry out on the cross, even in his pain and anguish, It is finished! Because Jesus understood risk and reward. And though the ruler was blind to the reward, and the disciples are currently blind to the risk, the Holy Spirit and Luke follow this story up with a story of a blind beggar named Bar Timaeus. Because though they were as blind as a bat, our next character was able to perceive the kingdom. He understood the reversal of the kingdom. 
The size of the reversal. We receive in the kingdom what we need, not what we deserve. And the minute we try and tell God, I deserve this because of everything I've done. I deserve this, God, because, because look at all the nice things I've done for you. You don't get what you deserve. All through the last couple chapters, those who cry out for mercy. And mercy means not getting what you deserve. God, don't give me what I deserve. I need mercy, what I don't deserve. I need grace, what I don't deserve. And so this blind man... Bartimaeus is laying there. And remember, this story isn't like totally unrelated. This is the example of everything that's come before us. And here's what happens. He, Jesus, was coming near Jericho. And a certain blind man sat on the road begging. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was stopping by. So he's laying there on the road, commotions, people going by all the time. Hey, what's with the big crowd today? It's Jesus of Nazareth. (gasps) Now, maybe he's had friends who are crippled, who've been healed. Maybe he's even had a friend who was blind, who Jesus healed. And they came back to him and said, Bartimaeus, if you ever hear or get a chance to see Jesus... Don't let anything stop you. And he hears Jesus and Nazareth and he perks up. And he who is physically blind can perceive the kingdom. Yet those who were physically able to see were blind to the kingdom. Now there's another writer, the book of Mark, that tells us his name. Quick reference where in Luke, he's coming near Jericho on his way to Jericho. In Mark, he's coming out of Jericho. So this could be two separate instances, but Joe Folk, who's a pastor in Philadelphia, did some research. He actually found that there were several Jerichos. After Joshua destroyed the original Jericho, he said there's a Jewish Jericho that was rebuilt, and there's a Roman Jericho that was rebuilt. So it's possible these are both true. He's coming out of one of the Jerichos and on his way to the other Jericho when he encounters this beggar, this blind beggar, whose name we get in Mark, which is Bar Timaeus. So as he does and as he's coming out, he encounters this, this, uh, this blind beggar and look what happens. He, the beggar, cried out just like the lepers who cried out for mercy? Huh, from two chapters ago. He cries out for mercy just like the tax collector. He cries out from a place of, place of vulnerability just like the widow. I've got to have your help. I can't fix this on my own. He, he cries out from a place of dependence just like the infants who know how to receive the kingdom of God. He is the example of what we're supposed to be when we approach God. Be as blind as Bart who can actually perceive the kingdom of God. Those who went before him warned him, will you be quiet? Just like the disciples said, will you get those babies out of here? And what does he do? Does he be quiet? No. He's the widow. He cries out all the more. No, 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 no. This is my one chance. I don't know when I'm going to find Jesus again. Knock, 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 knock. Help, 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 help. Need, 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 need. He cried out all the more. Son of David. Second time he said, son of David. And that term was a very specific term. It was referenced in the book of 2 Samuel. Where God says to David, one day one of your descendants 
will sit on the throne of God as the Messiah. Son of David was a quote from Isaiah that said, From the stump of Jesse, the Messiah will come as a sprout. So he, the blind man, recognized this isn't just a miracle worker. This isn't just a good teacher. This is the predicted Messiah, the man God on earth, son of David. And like the widow, he's persisting. And like the beggar, he's crying. Like Lazarus, he says, I I need you in my life. The rewards have not been good. I've been under a lot of suffering, but don't give me what what I deserve. Give me what I need. So Jesus stood still. And notice the phrase, just like the lepers, just like the tax collector, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still, commanded him to be brought to him. And he had come near. He asked him, saying, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want? He said, oh, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith, your confidence in me has made you well. And immediately he received his sight. And out of receiving his sight, he began to glorify God. I want God to get the credit. I want my whole life not to be about me, but about God. And people seeing what God had done, they began to praise God and give God credit for what God had done. Now, is this passage remind us that God can heal people? Without a doubt, God can do supernatural healing. In fact, we will anoint people with oil after services for healing. We do that as elders regularly, if that's something you're ever interested in. So that is something God does. There's a lot of times God doesn't heal. It's very frustrating. And I think the main reason the Holy Spirit has placed this passage in this place in the Bible is not because of his supernatural healing. It's because he knew to ask God to open his eyes to see what it was about. He's the spiritual example of how you and I are supposed to be like the leper, supposed to be like the tax collector. How when we are blind to what Jesus is doing, we're blind to what God's doing in our life, we're supposed to be as blind as Bart. God, help me. I don't know. But I'm going to keep asking, and I'm going to keep asking. Receive my Help me to see what you're doing. Help me to see what you're doing in my life. Help me to understand and perceive what you're doing, Father. Open my eyes. I'm dependent. I'm dependent on you. And that is the main message of the Bible, certainly the main message of this text, is that you and I need to ask God to receive sight, physical sight and spiritual sight, that we would live in dependence. And there's something about living dependently on God that is so frustrating. I've spent the last couple of weeks trying to really be as blind as a Bart. Every time I come across a frustrating circumstance saying, God, I'm just depending on you. You know, last year, many of you knew that my wife went through back surgery. It was just very, very complicated in the midst of everything else going on. And for the last month, her back is back to being at that level of pain. And so it has brought that level of frustration and you know, sorting and, and trying to figure it all out. And I've just been worn out. I thought, God is putting me back in the exact same circumstance. Why? I don't know. God, receive. let me have my sight. And one of the things I felt like God was saying to me is, Chad, this time... Will you trust me and be dependent on me and not wear yourself out in self-dependence and self-reliance? I'm like, oh God, it's just, it's just, it, all this stuff has to get done. And I have found in my heart and my soul against everything that is in me that wants to depend on myself and fix it all. God, I don't know. I just need help. And it has not solved it all, but I have found a peace that has begun to transform my inner soul. 
met with a friend of mine this week who's a counselor. I said, one of the issues is it's almost like all of the, the, the ongoing uncertainty of unpredictability and trauma, and this is messed up, and this broke, and this is about to be destroyed that happens around my house all the time. It's like I can't ever get my emotions to calm because I know any minute something else is going to be destroyed that has to be fixed. And he said, well, yeah, I think one of the things is you're catastrophizing. I'm like, no, no, these are <laughs> catastrophizing, exaggerating. These are like based on exactly what happened last time, this is what happened last time. It was so helpful to have someone wiser than me, older than me, I could trust, begin to help me navigate how to trust God, how to live this dependent life that God calls us to live, how to seek out this peace that passes understanding while still just getting the stuff done that's not going to go away. And God has really challenged me not to take my confidence in my talents my ability to problem solve and fix stuff, which I'm pretty good at all that. But when those things become an idol, we stop depending on him. We depend on the talent he gives us. And God has said is calling you and I to live in dependence to our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Father, help us to be blind like Bartimaeus. God, that we would know what it is to call out for mercy and to live in dependence upon you. Father, continue to use Horizon as a place of hope and truth to all those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you head out today, I just want to remind you we have Easter services coming up. We have seven services. There are complimentary tickets in the rear atrium. You want to pick those up today. We'd love to have you for our three Saturday services or our four Sunday services. We'll see you all next week as we continue our journey.